Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Uh, you know, I want to say, again, a special welcome to you. Some of you trickled in a bit later. We didn't get a chance to, to say hi. I want to say special hello. Uh, you know, I'm one of the leaders here, uh, and maybe you've watched us online. And so this is kind of a unique morning. Like, like we said, we have this race that's going on, and one of the things that we try to do is we, we have a value of really partnering with our city, doing our best to be informed of what's going on. And so, so this morning, we're going to let you out a little bit sooner and have you, like, leave the parking lot a little bit quicker. That means I have to preach faster. Then I usually, not that I preach fast, not that I speak fa listen, do you want to keep coming to this church? No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I just got this, uh, so I, I'm going to speed it up, no, I'm kidding, thanks Michael, oh, that's so nice, whoever said that, lies, lies, okay, so we've been in a series on, on prayer, and one of the things that if you haven't seen the series, you haven't watched the series, you don't know, one of the things we've been trying to do in this learning time is to encourage you to pray. That's it, <laughs> to encourage you to pray more consistently and in a way that is shaped by a prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples. And you know, a lot of times this is hard to do because so many of us, like we said in the series, learn about prayer kind of by fluke, like it just happens or you're in a crisis and you're like, God help me if you fix my blank, I'll love you forever. You know, you ever try that? Don't, don't do that, don't do that. No, no, but I mean, it's kind of an introduction to prayer. It's like it's a crisis, and you're like, if there is a God, this would be a good time. Make my car start. You ever try? You know, and you realize that that's kind of maybe like an entry to prayer. It's kind of how you kind of begin thinking about prayer. But really, the Bible invites us to learn how to pray in a deeper way. You can't just stay there. You really have to grow in your understanding of prayer. And also one of the other big challenges I think in our culture when we think about prayer is that so many people today equate prayer to just sentimental feelings. Like just do whatever you like. Talk to God however you want. That's true as well. But as you grow in your faith, you should grow in your understanding of prayer so it doesn't just become that. And we've been encouraging you to think about this and we've been looking at this prayer called the Lord's Prayer. I mean, Jesus probably didn't call it this and the early Christians didn't call it this, but it's known as the Lord's Prayer. And today we're going to wrap up the Lord's Prayer, by looking at the final line of the Lord's Prayer. It's the most difficult line of the whole Lord's Prayer. Like when I was preparing the sermon series, I was hoping someone else would get to preach this part so I didn't have to do it. Because at this part of the Lord's Prayer, we are confronted with the most difficult part of making sense of prayer and brokenness in the world. We are confronted with the problem of evil. What do we do when we think about evil in the world as people who claim that we pray to a God who is all-powerful, all-loving, who is good, and yet we look around and we wonder about, like, brokenness and evil and temptation and fighting and violence. And, I mean, we could go on forever. And every time I think about this issue of evil and this issue of how prayer is connected, it's meant to shape us to understand 
just that there's real evil and sinfulness in our world, not only somewhere out there, but that also shapes something that happens in our own lives. I think about a conversation that I had with a father probably two years ago. I met a father who was about in his 50s. I had never met him before. He had never come to our church, but somebody sent me an email that knows me and knows our church and says, I have a friend that I work with, and I would love for you to meet them, and they have a real serious family crisis. So I said, okay. It's very awkward sometimes, you know, to meet somebody that you've never met. You're like, are you on Facebook? You know, the creepy part of it. I'll find the way you look like. So when I see you, like, at the coffee shop, I know who you are. You know, so I'm like, I'm the pastor guy. I'm like, listen, I don't really look like a pastor guy. I have a tattoo. It might freak you out, you know. So anyway, I'm going through all the notes, right? So I finally get there, and, uh, and I just sit down, and I could tell that this father was carrying wounds I would not be able to understand. And then he began, he began to tell me things that he said, I've never shared some of this with the people that in our own family. He said, I have a son who's been addicted to cocaine for 10 years. And as a father, we have no, we have no words. We, have no, we, we don't know what to do anymore. We're either going to bury our son, steals from us, lies to us. You know, and I remember just sitting there with this dad, you know, trying to listen. And as I'm listening, like I'm praying in my head, I'm like, God, I have no words for this father, but you can kind of meet him here. He begins to weep at a coffee shop. And then I get kind of a bit like, I'm like, I wonder if people think I'm saying mean things to him. You know, like, I'm like, I'm kind of not, I'm listening. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out in the room and try to figure out how to, how to just be there. You know, and then at the end of that time, you know, after listening, you know, it was really, really helpful to listen and to help them to know that they're not alone. I offered, like, our church community. And they said something to me that I never forget. The dad said to me, can't you just do like a prayer for this? And it dawned on me how most people think about prayer when they face challenges, complexity, deep pain, that prayer in our culture almost sometimes becomes like a shortcut to the real work of surrendering our lives to the ways of Jesus, to saying, yeah, I can pray for you. I said, I can pray, but you're going to have to do some things that maybe you've never done in your life. And so is your son, and so is your wife. And I remember being, that part of the conversation being so difficult because they at some point had learned something that we all learn, that prayer can be a shortcut. Prayer is something you do at the end of it all. You know, prayer is something you maybe come to at the final moment of, you know, I tried everything else, and now I'm going to try the God card. Okay, let's pray. You know, whatever. And my prayer for us has been that if you've been in this series, you know that that just doesn't work with Jesus. Because Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray and how to think about prayer in a completely different way. Because remember, people in the Bible have, have other options when they think about prayer. There are so many other religions and so many other beliefs that people can go and pray and pray in other cults and pray in other religions. But Jesus is going to teach his disciples how to pray in a very unique way. And at the end of this morning, we're going to just read the Lord's Prayer together at the end before we leave. Just kind of just as a closure for us this morning. But I also want to remind you that one of the things that Jesus does when he teaches his disciples how to pray, it happens because they ask him this. Just remember that Jesus is, is praying and living his ministry and he's serving God and he's doing what God's come to do. And his disciples notice something in him and they say, Jesus, like every time we see you, like you're praying and the way you're living is connected in a way that we've never seen before. Like you have to teach us to pray in this way. So if there's one thing that we can maybe consider for our lives is that we would be people who help others learn how to pray as well. That we would be people who, who allow other people to see us pray. Maybe for some of you, this is a real, it makes you nervous, right? To be like, pray like in public? Yeah, maybe. 
Maybe throughout this summer, God's going to give you an opportunity to start to practice just saying a little prayer. And you know, if you've been with us, you know, one of the easiest ways to do that is to just read the Lord's Prayer. You don't have to make up big words. You're like, I'm not a priest. I'm not a pastor. I don't know how to say big words. It doesn't have to be that way. But part of the way we pass on learning how to pray is by helping other people see us pray. And one day when Jesus is teaching, he's talking to his disciples, he one day not only teaches them how to pray, but he also tells them what to pray about sometimes. Can you think about a time in the Bible that maybe you're aware of, especially if you're, you've been a Christian for a long time? Can you remember a time where Jesus tells his disciples what to pray about? I mean, it's probably a big deal if Jesus says, hey, this week you pray about this. You'd be like, okay, I'm going to forget a lot of things, but I, can't, I shouldn't forget this. This is going to be important. At one point, Jesus is doing his ministry and he's serving people and he's helping people. And the Bible tells us a moment where he tells his disciples exactly how to pray about a very specific thing. This is what it says. You'll see it on the screen. It says, when he saw the crowds, Jesus, he had compassion on them. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest, meaning the world of people dying for the truth, is plentiful. Like it's full of people searching for God, praying, asking God for help, trying to make sense of life in the world, right? But the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray. You, you, my disciples, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, the Lord who loves this world that he's created. Pray to him that he would send out laborers into his harvest. It's a very interesting thing for Jesus to ask. That Jesus not only teaches them how to pray, he says, hey, while you're learning how to pray, add this to the way you think about prayer. That the God that loves you loves people who don't know him yet. The God who cares for you wants to also show compassion and caring for people who are not ready to say yes to God yet. Think about someone that you know who would never ever get up on a Sunday morning and go to a church, ever. You should be able to think of one person, of two people, three people, four people. If you can't think of one person, you need to get out more. Because we are living in a time where if you told somebody that you're getting up and maybe going to find parking in a bike race and going to go in a warehouse and be like, what? You're not sleeping in? You're not going to a picnic? You're not like just hanging out at your house? You're going to go to, what, to church? Jesus says, when you pray, remember to add to those prayers the fact that you pray to a God that loves people so much that he wants people who still don't know him to begin to understand the love and the promises and the blessings that are connected to learning to pray. And so this morning, as we talk about this, I want to look at why this is so important. Because we have to talk about what it means that prayer is meant to help us be people who live as God's people in the real world. I didn't learn this growing up, by the way. When I first learned how to pray, I remember really, really young. I remember that I learned how to pray so that I, I could avoid everybody in the world. I learned how to pray so that I could judge everybody in the world. Any of you? Judgment types? Anyone here? No? Okay. So I learned, I'm like, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to feel like, yes, I'm on the right track with God, but my neighbor, they're going to burn. Like, but I said it in a loving way inside. But in my head, I was like, it's too bad, too bad. Because I didn't understand that Jesus is teaching us to pray as those who are praying to a God who loves people who still are not sure why prayer matters, who still don't understand this God that we pray to. It was part of the way he taught them this. And part of the way God does this is you have to remember that the world that I'm calling you to be my people in is not always a good world. It's a broken world. It's a messy world. And this is what we're told just at the end of the Lord's Prayer. I'll recite it all at the end. This is what it says. 
The part of the prayer at the end of the, the Lord's Prayer, it says this, and lead us not into temptation. Some of your translation might say testing. Lead us not into testing, but deliver us from the evil one or evil. Some say evil or evil one. I mean, this is the end of how Jesus teaches us to pray. It's almost like if I was praying, I would start with this first. Right? I would have started with all the bad stuff at the beginning. God, I'm praying because I'm scared. I'm praying because bad stuff is going on. I'm praying. Jesus has been telling his disciples and us all the things that we should think about what it means that we're praying to a loving God who's a father, who's generous, who's forgiving. And then he says, and by the way, now that you have a picture of that as you pray, you are going to be my disciples in the world. And you're going to do this remembering that you're also praying that I would be with you in seasons of deep testing and temptation. So let me just say kind of something that might be confusing. When you read this, it can almost be weird to think. Some of you have already thought it, right? So does God lead us to be tempted? That sounds mean, gang. That sounds like a mean God. So, so let me maybe give you another way. I'll rephrase this maybe in another way to help you understand. The, the translation of these words can also mean God keep us from being tempted in ways that might lead us off your path. It's not that God is making us be tempted, but he, in a sense, we know that temptation is there and the prayer is to keep us from missing the sense of awareness that evil is very real and that it will destroy us if we take it for granted. And when I was thinking about the, the, the title for the sermon, I thought this part of the prayer is that people who pray take evil seriously. People who pray are serious about evil and brokenness and all kinds of things that are connected to that in our world. Every time you pray, you're reminded of God, there's something about the life that we're living that's meant to make us people that live in a world that's very broken and messy. As people who have been shaped by praying to you, as people who are learning that because we're praying consistently, we have a new perspective of what it means to be in this world very much aware that this world is not all nice, and positivity as much as you're going to see ads about it, you know, whatever. It's much deeper than that. And there's some things that are much more broken than we'd like to admit, even in our own lives. So we hide, right? It's the great image in the Bible, just hiding. And just to understand this part of the prayer a little bit deeper, I just want to explain to you two very important, they're biblical concepts that you have to kind of know. And, and if, if you're here, maybe for the first time, maybe you're watching online, I sometimes would encourage you to bring a notepad. If you want to take notes, it might help you. But I just want to tell you two words, okay, that are really, really important. You have to know this in your mind to understand how Jesus is talking about temptation and evil in the world. The Bible uses two words to talk about our relationship with the world, meaning people who still don't believe. Two words. Some of you, if you've been in a Bible study here, you know these words because I've talked about them. And you'll see them up here. I had them. They're like two biblical concepts. Wow, that's very nice. The effect. Okay. Two. <laughs> well done, bro. Okay. Two biblical, two biblical concepts. Okay. One is the world and the other is worldliness. Okay. One is the world and the other is worldliness. The word for the world is meant for us to hear this as a positive thing. Because God so loved the world. At Christmas time, Jesus comes into the world. So there's so many images in the Bible about the world that are meant to be seen as very positive. God loves the world. God created the world. God is restoring the world. Right? There's all of these images in the Bible for what the world means. But in English, the word world, it's hard to understand. It's like bad, but it's good. 
but it's, but it's bad. But sometimes it's good, right? So I'd like to give you two different words to help you understand this. The word for the world is meant to be understood as something positive. That there's a positive, life-giving way that God is restoring and healing the world. Now, that doesn't always happen very, very quickly, but it's happening as we, one, see Jesus in the world, healing and restoring, and then it's happening through us, the church. We are in the world. The Bible makes it very, has a lot of images for this. We're like, we're light in a dark world, all these images. But here's my favorite passage in the whole Bible for this. In the letter to the Colossians, it's a letter in the New Testament, we're told that the whole world was created by Jesus for Jesus. Just think about this. To help us understand the goodness of the idea of the world, we're told that the world itself, although it's not perfect, there's brokenness and evil and sin there, but the world was created by Jesus, the Spirit, God, for Jesus. You know what that means? That means that my kids were created for Jesus. That means that all of you exist for Jesus. That means, you know when you watch the Animal Network channel with all those cool animals that nobody's ever discovered? I saw one about octopuses. Well, octopi. Is that the right word? Octopi? Somebody knows? Yeah. I was like, this is amazing. And I was thinking of my sermon. I'm like, they were created for Jesus. There's species that we, will, we have yet to uncover. And there's a sense that the Bible says, you understand that the world you live in, in all of its brokenness, has a part of it that you need to understand as it's being redeemed for the sake of Jesus himself. But then there's the word worldliness. Worldliness are the ways of this world that try to stop, confront, put hurdles in the way of God restoring the world. Now remember, if you've been here, you know this, that the beginning of the Lord's Prayer begins with a holy God whose kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. Evil is whatever gets in the way of God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. If you want a simple definition, evil is whatever gets in the way of the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. That means there's times in my own life where I've done things that fit that category, where I've said, I'm going to be disobedient. I'm not going to do what God's calling me to do. I'm going to have my own way. And in that moment, I should have remembered that Jesus says, pray that you would not be tricked in thinking that it's okay to live this way. Pray that you would not minimize the power of evil and to be led into temptation to think it's fine for you to live for yourself because you exist, and I exist, for the sake of the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. And so there's a sense that worldliness is all of the things that are part of this world that God is redeeming that take us away from the goodness of God. They move us away from being those who take evil seriously, pay attention to it in our lives, and realize, am I doing things that maybe kind of would seem like I don't care about the kingdom of God coming on earth the way it is in heaven, that I don't care about Jesus being glorified as the center of my life, but, you know, there's some things I prefer, and in this whole moment of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, I want you to understand that you will be tempted to live this way, each of us. Think about the things that tempt you. This week, how many times were you tempted? They're probably not things that tempt me. You have different temptations. You know one of the things I noticed in my life are very different? That the things that tempted me when I was in my 30s are different than the things that tempted me when I'm in my 40s. And I'm only 40, by the way. Let's, let's keep it right about there. 
And this is why the, being the church with intergenerational leaders is so important for us because as we grow and as we mature, different generations will say, this will become a temptation later. This will, you'll have to think about this in a new way. You'll have to pay attention to this in your life later. All of this is part of the things that tempt us. And when they tempt us, they take root in a way to try to move us away from honoring God through our lives. And one of the most important things that almost all of the, the people in the Bible know is that Jesus himself models for us what it is to resist temptation. If you remember, there's a story in the Bible of when Jesus, actually at the beginning of his ministry, is going to be in the desert, and he's going to be tempted. He's going to be tempted by the devil. And we're told that the devil comes, and he begins to tempt Jesus with small things. Jesus is hungry. He says to Jesus, you know, you're the son of God. You should turn these rocks into food. Come on. Is anybody really going to care? Just do that. There's these moments of temptation that Jesus will face. Now, we know this is really important if you're into, like, theology, understanding the Bible in a deeper way. Just remember this. Nobody is with Jesus when he's being tempted. It's Jesus and the devil. So how do we know this story? Jesus would have told this story. Jesus would have told his disciples, hey, hey, let me tell you how temptation works. Let me explain to you how sometimes you will feel in moments of weakness, certain trials that you're not sure what you're going to do, but that God can be with you in those moments of temptations. Jesus would have talked about it. So probably when they hear Jesus saying this prayer, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus, when you told us about the desert, right? Got it. That moment in the desert. Now, the temptation in the desert is really unique. It's a trial. It, it's helpful for us. It's the kind of trials we face in life that we didn't, we didn't kind of create. You know, there's certain temptations in life and testings that we experience. Maybe they start as trials and testing, and then a certain temptation creeps in, and it gets bigger. That word for, in Greek, trial and temptation, can sometimes be used interchangeably that way. You know, one of the things that I think falls in that category is COVID. COVID is a deep season of testing that none of us signed up for. It just, it's, it just happened. And then it happened in a deeper way. And then it happened in a deeper way. And all of us know that throughout all of this COVID time, it has either been a season of testing where you've learned to grow or testing where you've become more immature. You decide. Testing is almost at times a gift to reveal what's happening in your heart. And this is why into the New Testament, sometimes the writers in the New Testament will say, consider it pure joy when you're experiencing trials and temptation. You're like, how is that even possible? This is not joy at all. It's almost like saying that sometimes in these moments that you didn't anticipate, you didn't sign up for them, it's not your fault, it happened, something is revealed in you that you would never see without a season of testing. For some people, you know what COVID has revealed? That they really don't care at all about their neighbors. That's it. For other people, it reveals that they had put their, their trust in their resources or a job and everything was going to work and that's all taken away. And now you're like, in this moment of testing, I'm not really sure where my values are. I'm not really sure how our family should be shaped. I'm not sure. It's a season of testing that can either lead to growth, where you can be like, God, you have strength for me in this time, or it can develop a type of temptation that will start to grow in you and lead you further and further away from us together being people that model what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes on earth as it is in heaven. What kinds of testing trials have you felt during this COVID season? What kinds of things has God tried to bring to your attention that you could either learn from confess, 
talk about, say, wow, this is something new that I need to work on and I have to think about. We, this, we're probably not going to get a chance like this in a long time to have this intense season of testing together and to say, Lord, keep us from missing the warning signs that this is meant to show us. Keep us from missing how when this goes unattended, this season of temptation turns into something so much bigger. Because remember, there's a testing time that we experience of something we did not want. We didn't look for it. We didn't plan it. This for me is always the most difficult sometimes in my life. Because I'm like, God, why is this happening to me? It's very common. You know, I, I, I feel that all the time. You know, like, why is this season of difficulty happening? And if you're not careful, you'll start to think God's punishing you. I've met so many people that are like, you know what? Uh, you know, my child is very, very sick. It's God's punishing me because of something I did when I was a teenager. And I'm like, listening, I'm like, okay, pause right now. The God you're talking about is not the God of the Bible. So I don't know what you're talking about. So let me show you how to pray the way Jesus taught us to pray. <laughs> right? It's a time of learning and being like, okay, sometimes, just like Jesus, there's seasons of testing that are just God saying, hey, I want you to know that I'm here and this is going to reveal something to you. This is what we're told when Jesus is in the desert. Again, the devil took him, Jesus, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus is kind of in this season and he's going to teach his disciples what it's like to trust God in this season of temptation. Remember, part of what the devil wants to do is to distract Jesus from doing what God's called him to do. Some of the most basic temptations and trials we face are not even something very, very bad that you'll do. It's just a distraction, a distraction from doing the right thing. You know, oftentimes when we think of temptation, we think of things we shouldn't do. Temptation in the Bible is also made up of things that we should have done. Okay, remember that. It's not just that I didn't do something bad, but that I respond in the right way when I needed to respond in a godly way, in a loving way. So it's not just about the things you don't do. It's about being present with the Lord about the times when you something you need to start to do. And Jesus now, after this moment of temptation, is going to call his disciples and his ministry will begin. And in that moment, we get a glimpse of what it's like that Jesus understands the pain, the struggles that we feel when we are tempted. When we feel that we're, we're in a season of our lives where we're experiencing this pressure, some of it starts as a test and now it's turning into something else. You know, it's like when something bothers you and then you become offended and then when you become offended, you start to gossip and when you start to gossip, you want revenge. See that? that happened to any of you? It happens every week to me. Okay, so just the feeling, you know that, that there's a moment where it's like, okay, this I need to bring to the Lord. And you leave it. And now it does something else in you. This is that, that, that moment where Jesus is like, be careful. Pray that God will keep you from these moments where the evil one, evil in all of its forms, comes and takes advantage of that moment of weakness in you. Just be present to that and be very... In the book of Hebrews, for we do not have a high priest, a high priest is a title for Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. This is such a gift to us, that in Christianity, God is someone that enters our broken world and experiences our pain so that we know God didn't just send us like a book from the sky with laws. God came himself into the world said, if you want to know what it's like to trust the Father, 
in seasons when you're praying, you've been faithful, you're learning to trust God, you're practicing what it means that the kingdom of God is coming on earth through your life, and then it happens, a moment of testing. And you're like, but I've done everything right. God, like, what, what do you mean? Jesus is like, remember, it's happened to me too. Remember, I've showed you what it's like to be able to resist temptation, to resist those moments of testing that move to something bigger, that grip your hearts and, and kind of grow in you something deeper, and to be present with the Lord and know that he's with you. God models for us in Jesus what it's like to go through seasons of temptation and to trust God. This is the hardest thing we'll experience in our life. The hardest thing. Because so much of temptation happens privately. You can be like, well, it's nobody's business. It's my business. It's not, it's not your business. You figure out your own life. Anybody ever say that to you? When you're a pastor, you hear that a lot. People, hey, you know, I noticed this. was well, none of your business. Like, okay, gotta go. You know, there, there's like these moments where temptation has a way of just being private. And Jesus is like, every time you pray, you're going to remember that these things, if they're not addressed properly, will grow into something much bigger. I'll leave you with a last passage, and I'm going to close in a second. Better get you bike racing and stuff. This is what it says in James. James, the brother of Jesus, will say this about what it looks like when a season of testing or temptation is left unattended. I was like, it's, it's fine. You know, I'll sort it out later. This is what James says. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting them, tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. These are, these are the way the earliest Christians were, took prayer so seriously. They're like, you have, you have to be praying and learn how to pray because every day you are learning to be someone in the world paying attention to worldliness. The ways of this world that grip your heart to not care that the kingdom of God is coming on earth as it is in heaven. And when this happens, a season of temptation, which is normal, happens to us, happened to Jesus, goes unattended. We think it's fine. Then this always happens in my life. Ready for this? Maybe you do this. I find someone who's going to be offended the way I was offended. And I tell them. I, 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 when I was younger, I used to do this all the time. I found somebody, if somebody told me, like, you're overreacting, you need to just grow up in a, you know, whatever, I'd be like, I'm not talking to them anymore. Like, they don't get it. They're not in it with me. You know, they're not in it. I'm going to find somebody who likes to gossip. We don't do that here, but other people do it. <laughs> it's so hard to be like, I've been tempted, tempted by something, and I need help to know how to respond in a godly way, how to be honest about something that was really small turns into something so much bigger, and if, if you're in a relationship, if you're with your kids, you know how this happens. And along the way, you make a decision to say, I need to surrender this. I need to be aware that the evil ways of this world and the way the devil has always worked from the time of Jesus to us is looking for times when something that seems so unassuming becomes something so much bigger and more challenging and more complicated. And in those moments, we're called to be those who have been praying this prayer because remember, this prayer is something you would pray consistently. And as you're praying, you would get to the end of the prayer and you would say, Jesus, I need you to keep me for all forms of evil that are creeping around my life, that would tempt me and not tempt someone else, 
that would make me think that somehow the way I live doesn't matter to you. That sin and evil and all the ways of Satan are committed to destroying the fact that the kingdom of God must come on earth the way it is in heaven. And every time we choose to say, that doesn't matter to us, I'm going to read this prayer, I'm going to, temptation is not a big deal, I'm, it's whatever, we become those who Jesus, I think, says this, I taught you how to pray. If I was tempted, you will be tempted. And I know what it's like to have to trust God in those seasons of temptation. And no matter where you're at in your life, if you're young, if you're old, temptation comes in so many different forms. It begins with a small test, and then you make a decision to say, God, I probably have to confess this. I probably need to un- get help with something. I probably just need to pay attention more. I just need to be aware of what you're, what you're doing in my life and how I'm growing. So I wanted to end this service today by having one of our youth read the Lord's Prayer for us. Okay? They're just going to read the Lord's Prayer, and we are going to respond to every line of the Lord's Prayer together. We're going to respond together because Jesus, when he's with his disciples, they together ask Jesus to teach us how to pray. Prayer is not just something we do one-on-one, but it's something that we are doing as a church together. We are praying this prayer. We are saying we want to be people shaped by this prayer. We are doing this with one another and learning to do this together. So I thought, how beautiful would it be for us to have one of our youth just read these lines and for us to say together, Father, hear this prayer. Make us people who are shaped by these words. Teach us what it means to take seriously that you love us, that you care about us, that you care for the world, and yet the mission that you've called us on into this broken world is still not finished yet. So I'm going to have Josh come on up here, and you're going you're gonna to see this on the screen. Josh is going to lead us. I don't know. Josh, you, you nervous, bud? A little, A little bit? Don't be. They're friendly. They're friendly, these people. Okay. And this is what we're going to do. Okay, I'm going to have you stand and put on your masks. Okay, because you're going to have to... Yeah. I'm, I'm, we're going we're gonna to just... One time together, we're just all going to say it together. Father, hear our prayers. You ready? Ready? One, two, three. Father, hear our prayers. Very, very easy. Josh is going to lead us. He's going to read these lines. And these lines have been shaped by every week that we've been together. So if you've heard the sermon, you know why these lines are shaped that way. But they're the prayer. They're the Lord's prayer. So Josh, you lead us and we'll repeat it after every part, okay? Our Father, the heaven... One sec. Your mic on. There you go. Try now. Hello. There you go. Okay. There we go. We want to make sure God hears you, so I just be loud. You smile under the mask. Some of you are smiling. Some of you are like, I don't like it. I don't like that. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus is smiling. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Our Father, the heavens declare that you have no equal, holy and loving. Father, hear our prayers. Your plans made visible in Jesus. Reveal that we exist to make your kingdom visible on earth as is in heaven. Father, hear our prayers. You sustain and satisfy, and satisfy us so we would long to share with others. Father, hear our prayers. You forgave us, making us those who long to forgive others as well. Father, hear our prayers. Father, evil will not get the final word. Keep us from all its forms. Father, hear our prayers. Let's close in a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you for loving us and teaching us and helping us to be those who pray 
in a way that shapes us into a new kind of family. That as we bring this series to a close, you would help us to look for ways where we can make prayer more consistent in our lives. Not just prayers that, you know, that we sometimes pray without thinking, but prayers that are shaped by your words, by the scriptures. I pray that today would be a day where we would remember with Christians around the world that we worship a God who hears our prayers. Pray for those who are here in the room who are carrying deep burdens, facing temptations that they're unsure of, wondering about what it means that you are a good God. Father, by your Spirit, would, just, would you just meet us there? For those maybe listening online, would they too understand how important it is to be those who are shaped by these prayers? Because you are a God that hears our prayers. Jesus promised us that, and we believe him. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen. Hey, we're really grateful, everyone, for doing this. Josh, good job, buddy. You should preach next week. Hey, uh, just a few little instructions next week, really important. We hope you join us again. There's still room. We're going to be taking communion together, celebrating communion as we kind of transition out of this series. And we're actually beginning a new series next week called Rethinking Maturity. You might have it, we might have it up there. I'm not really sure, but you have it up there, the new teaching series? Yeah, Rethinking Maturity, Exploring the Fruit of the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's going to be juicy. Uh, so we hope to see you. It's going to take us through the summer. Really important instruction, okay? Everybody have your masks on. If you have kids, it's really important. You go around, pick up your kids.